Happy Friday, everybody, and welcome to the Get Your Goat podcast. This is your host, Josh, here. No Luca today, but there's a lot to get into. going to start with some NFL, but then as we segue into what will be next for Ben Simmons, NBA playoffs, the shock of the Bucks losing to the Hawks game one, the Clippers in a familiar spot, then I will unleash on the Vegas Golden Knights for losing not only Game 6, but this series and what needs to change. And then I will give you my top 5 teams in baseball this very moment. Very exciting show, so let's get into it. Starting with the NFL and the tight end university that is George Kittle is hosting alongside another great tight end and Super Bowl champion, Travis Kelsey and former tight end Greg Olson, gathering 49 NFL tight ends to this tight end university to just get better, bring more recognition to the position. Because as George Kittle says, and I agree and I agree with beginning of quote, I think tight end is the most unique and diverse position. It's the most fun position because it's the only one on the field where you get to do everything that a football player does. You run block, you pass pro, you get to run routes and catch the football. We do everything. End of quote. And I agree. A great tight end is indispensable when you think of great tight ends, you think of the Tony Gonzalez, the Shannon Sharp, the Travis Kelsey, Greg Olson, uh, Rob Gronkowski, George Kittle. Those are the great premier tight ends that make a difference because of their size. They are bigger than the wide receiver, so it's hard. You don't really put a cornerback on him because of a size advantage but if you put a linebacker usually the tight end is faster or the route running is better for a tight end and coverage so the tight end is a very versatile position and when you have George Kittle who is such a great run blocker and can pass protect as well when you get the full package like that like a Rob Gronkowski it just makes all the difference because you had that decoy of maybe a six offensive lineman. Maybe he's going out to pass, run block. You just don't know. That's what makes him so good. And to me, you can have one good wide receiver and one grid tight end. You would always don't need a two wide receiver set. And I think George Kittle is saying because the wide receiver is a popular position. Everybody wants to be the wide receiver. But George Kittle wants to bring awareness to tight ends and say, hey, I'm a good tight end. Travis Kelsey is a good tight end. We can have fun and do it all out there. And that's exactly what they do. They do everything. When we saw Jimmy Graham back in the day with the Saints, he did everything as well. So having a great tight end is really invaluable uh, for your football team. Opens up the game a lot more, especially in play action as well. Now you see the shuttle passes with Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes. 
So the tight end position is evolving, becoming more of a focal point in NFL offenses. Uh, and I love a good tight end that can just do the things that George Kittle, Travis Kelsey would do. I would take a great tight end like one of those other than over a great wide receiver because they bring that blocking aspect to it that wide receivers normally don't do, but they can still make great, spectacular plays. Now moving on to the Cleveland Browns. I have been saying for a while that the Cleveland Browns have a top three NFL roster, is a top three team in the NFL, at least on paper, right now because of what they have done in free agency and in the draft, what they proved last season and what they're on a mission to do this season. But I'm going to say this, they have a two-year window. They have this year and maybe next year, and I think that is it. They have two years to win a Super Bowl this upcoming season and next season. It's this year or next year. And I say that in large part because of Baker Mayfield. I say that because this year and next year, Baker has a reasonable cap number. But the minute he signs an extension, whatever it may be, that number comes up if they sign to an extension this summer and it kicks in next season, then this could be the only season. This could be it for the Browns. Why do I say that? Well, this year, Baker has a salary of $920,000, but with certain bonuses that he has, signing bonus, roster bonus, uh, it's pretty much locked in at around $10 million will be his cap hit this year. Next year, he has a fifth-year option, which the Browns have picked up which guarantees a salary being at $18 million. So really, that's an $8 million cap increase for this one player. But then if he signs a lucrative contract like a Dak Prescott or a Patrick Mahomes or will be Josh Allen, somewhere in that ballpark, he'll be seeing that $18 million most likely jump up to $35-$40 million where he is doubling his money. So when you're doubling $18 million, as I've said, that is one star player or two great role players right there, two depth pieces. So this is it for the year for the Browns this year or next year. They have Clowney on a short deal, a one-year deal, and they say he looks great. To me, he's one of their keys to defensive success if he's healthy. Because Miles Garrett healthy on one end, Jadavion Clowney on the other end is just one formidable pass-rushing tandem. It really is. And when you look at Clowney's year, Clowney's deal, that's a one-year $10 million deal. Next year, as I said, Baker's cap goes from $10 million to $18 million. That's that contract right there. If they bump it up from 18 to you know 36, that's a couple players' contracts. So really, this is it. They did great in the draft, drafting their middle linebacker, Jeremiah Uosukoromoa, drafting a cornerback, uh, Newsome to play opposite Denzel Ward, picked up 
Hill, John Johnson. So this team has made strides, and they'll have to see it pay off this year or the following year. As simple as that. To me, the key is defense. We see the strides they made in the draft, so it's going to have to happen this year. Odell Beckham is progressing from his ACL injury. That opens up just another dynamic piece for this offense. I'm all in on the Browns. I would love to see Baker and this team win a championship because it has been about forever long for this team, the Cleveland Browns. Yes, they had LeBron James for a while, but since he has left, they have had nothing since then. And their last championship was 1964, before it was called the Super Bowl, before it was emerging, it was just an NFL championship, which they did well in before the Super Bowl era. But the Cleveland Browns fans, the Super Bowl fans, would love a Super Bowl there. Now moving on to the NBA. As we were just talking about the Mavs firing... Their head coach last week are letting him leave. They have now reached an agreement with Jason Kidd to be their next head coach. And I think this is a great hire. Jason Kidd is a maverick man. Won a championship with them in 2010 and 2011. Has been very close with the Mavs since his retirement. And I think this is just great overall for this team. Because you have a coach that was a player who can coach up and better Luka Doncic. Jason Kidd played as a point guard, was a fantastic, fantastic point guard, 10-time All-Star, five assist titles, was drafted number two by the Mavericks, played with the Suns, now then to Dallas. So this is just a great Great hire. He'll be able to coach up Luka more, be that mature a person. To I believe he will unlock another aspect of Luka's game. To me, Luka's a great scorer. He can pass, but he isn't that efficient yet. But I think with the tutelage of Jason Kidd, we are going to see another level of Luka Doncic on his elevation to superstardom. And he was a decent coach. Uh, was coached for Brooklyn Nets for a year, and then he was with the Bucks from 2014 to 2018 and had a year with Giannis. Giannis wasn't happy that they fired Jason Kidd. Then Jason Kidd has spent the past two years with the Lakers as an assistant head coach, and even LeBron James isn't happy losing Jason Kidd, saying, Tweeting, I hate to lose Jay Kidd, man, but I'm happy for him at the same time. Good luck, kid, because he is just an overall a great basketball savant who knows the game. Great for the locker room as well as a motivator. And I think this is a perfect fit for Jason Kidd. I'm really excited 
to see this team watch Luca grow as a player and Jason Kidd is the man for a job. Cannot emphasize that enough. Now there has been reports of Ben Simmons, rumors. Where will he end up? Where will he go? Talks are ongoing with his agent, uh, Rich Paul, and Sixers management. What needs to happen? I don't think he'll stay in Philly at all. And because I don't think he fits well with Doc Rivers. We saw Doc Rivers last year without a true point guard and kind of a two-wing tandem of Paul George and Kawhi Leonard did not do well together. They obviously blew the 3-1 lead to the Denver Nuggets, but that team did not have a true point guard to run the floor. When we saw Doc Rivers, he had prime, or in the league, he had Rajon Rondo play a great, great year with him with the surrounding players of Ray Allen, who's a shooter. He had a more traditional starting five with KG, with this team. And yes, he had, uh, or they had Rajon Rondo this year, but Rajon Rondo's not his former self. But last year, they could have used him. And I just don't think Ben Simmons works well with his team as well because this team overall is not a great three-point shooting team. Joel Embiid, on occasion can knock down a couple, but he's more intimidating in the lower post. Seth Curry is probably their most reliable three-point shooter, but Seth is no Steph. Tobias Harris is a streaky shooter. So to me, they legitimately need a three-point threat uh, because with the way Ben Simmons plays, he is such a great ball handler, great defensive player. He playmakes. But when he does, he passes it open for threes, and people just cannot knock down shots, and that's what they just can't do on the Philadelphia 76ers. So I think it'd be great if he were to leave and go somewhere where there's great three-point shooting around him so you can really see his playmaking shine through. And one rumor that has him going somewhere is the Golden State Warriors. How would a fit be there be there. I think it, that would be a spectacular fit. I really do. I think he would fit very well there because to me, he would be the best playmaker on the team. Yes, Steph Curry razzles and dazzles you, but he is just the most lethal, lethal three-point shooter known to man. And his wingmate, Clay Thompson, is arguably the second most lethal shooter known to man in terms of a three-point scoring ability. So when you have a Ben Simmons, who is perennial defensive player of the year, all-star, all-NBA, he's a star. He can make plays. He can bring the ball up the floor. He can go in the lane, make buckets down there in the low post, Shoot it, get confidence. But then when he kicks it out to Steph Curry for wide open looks, to Clay Thompson for wide open looks, Jordan Poole coming off the bench, that has potential to be a very dangerous and scary lineup. And then when you look at it on the defensive side, can guard the one to four 
the best player on the opposing team. He can do that. Draymond Green is aging. He's great defensively, but not as great as he once was. Having a Ben Simmons who has a similar style, but to me a better playmaker, would make this team very dangerous, especially when Klay Thompson returns. This would be a great move for both sides. The one hurdle is what would the Warriors have to send over to the Philadelphia 76ers? I think they'd have to send the draft of uh, multiple draft picks. Uh, do they include a Draymond Green? I bet you they would ask for a Clay Thompson, which would probably get denied. Philly would love having a three-point shooter like Clay and a decent defender as well at the two spot. But what would you get? What prospects would you inherit? A Jordan Poole, a Wiseman, what would you need? That, to me, is the biggest question because they would lose depth in draft picks in the future, giving up for Ben Simmons on a four-year, $147 million contract. So a lot of people won't take that after what we just saw in the postseason. But I do think there are some teams that are a great fit for him and can do it. I know the Lakers, everybody talks about a trade potentially with the Lakers, whether it be Damian Lillard, C.J. McCollum, now Ben Simmons. I don't think that would be wise because you basically have that in LeBron, who's a better shooter. Then Ben Simmons is a playmaker, but LeBron, I think, needs better three-point shooters around him. The same way I'm saying that with Ben Simmons. But I believe Ben Simmons and the right system can be a great player. I don't believe he is a player to fit any system and ball out, but he has to be in the right system. And I think Steve Kerr in his system works better with Ben Simmons than Doc Rivers does. Yes, as I've said, Doc Rivers does deserve his share of blame for losing this series and losing it. But Ben Simmons, on the other hand, is a player, is the one required to go out there and make plays. So he's another one you have to call into question at the end of the day. But I would love to see that trade come through for both parties. Then last night, or I'll recap the past two Suns games since I didn't talk about the last one. So last time I talked, the Suns were up 1-0. I thought the Suns would win game two, and what a crazy game two that was. I thought the Clippers were going to come back and win it, but they just didn't. Devin Booker and Pat Beverly colliding. Devin Booker having his nose look like Squidward tentacles after he took that hit. But to me, the thing that took so long was the last two minutes of that game taking a half hour to finish. Unacceptable. So many reviews that kind of just ruins the game, ruins the pace of the game when you have to wait around that long. So I feel for Paul George when he made missed the two free throws at the end which would have clinched the game and really made them go up by three. But there's no excuse for Paul George missing those two free throws at all. Five of ten on the night, 50% when he's around an 85, 86% 
free throw shooter. One of eight from three-point land. Only needed one three-pointer. They only made 13 the whole game and were 38 as a team. That was not good that night. And Devin Booker was in spark spectacular as well in part due to I think to some of his injury but you had Cameron Payne step up DeAndre Ayton with a dunk and I think he kind of got away with a hold there on Zubak so a lot of officiating errors I think ruined a really great great game and then they come back then for a game three in Los Angeles, Clippers are down 2-0. What is going to happen? I thought that this is a game I thought the Clippers were going to win. And they did. But it was close. I thought in the second half it just made a turn for a worse here at the end. And the Suns were going to walk away with it. In Clippers, in Staples Center, and the Suns were going to take a dominant, commanding 3-0 series lead. And a flip just switched in the third quarter, where I believe the Clippers were on around a 17-3 run or 20-3 run. uh, And just really flipped the game around. Paul George was great finishing Reggie Jackson. Made plays when needed. Terrence Mann played defense. Patrick Beverly especially balled out. Played defense. Got into it with Booker. Got into it with Paul. And they really had two pedestrian nights. This team wasn't very good overall. Chris Paul looked rusty for not only missing a week because of the sweep against the Nuggets, but also the first two games of the series because of the health and safety protocols. Devin Booker somehow looked worse. I thought masked Booker was going to come out, where we see so many players in masks from their face injuries dominate and just become a thing where you have masked Kobe, masked LeBron, masked Kyrie. But we did not get a masked Booker last night. Didn't even look like he liked wearing the mask. So that's something to watch out for. If this injury affects him, affects his shooting... Could that be something? Because if Devin Booker, I think, can't give them 25, a 30 a night, and he sticks around the 15 to 20 mark, I think this is where the Clippers take advantage of this series. And to me, watching this game last night with Chris Paul, to me, they actually look better playing without Chris Paul, at least this series. And I say that, Because Chris Paul slows the game down. He does. He runs it up court. Then he just dribbles around for three or four seconds beyond the perimeter, kind of surveying. But while he does that, that allows the Clippers to set up on defense. And to me, they're pretty good defensively. They have Pat Beverly, Paul George, Terrence Mann. So they have people who can defend. So when you have people get set up to where they want to be, that doesn't spell out good things. Now, yes, Chris Paul has done this the previous two series, but against the Lakers, he did not have to go against AD most of the series. 
last uh, series against the Nuggets. They are not a good defensive team. So now you're facing a good defensive team who play better when the game is slowing down. And when you had Booker running the point and uh, Cameron Payne in there, this team just played a lot faster. And the Clippers, they just couldn't keep up. They couldn't keep up running up and down the court. Zubak especially. And it hurt this Clippers team. So with Chris Paul in there, this certainly helps having this game slow down. So I do think that is something to watch out for. But this could also be the curse of Stephen A. Smith. Now, why do I say that? Why do I say the curse of Stephen A. Smith? Well, if you recall last series against the Utah Jazz, the Utah Jazz take a 2-0 series lead against the Clippers. Donovan Mitchell has played out of his mind in those two games and the previous four games in clinching a win over the Memphis Grizzlies. And Stephen A. says that... No, what's his name now? I just lost it. Donovan Mitchell is the greatest player in the history of the Jazz organization. Stephen A. has the audacity to say that. He says that gains traction. They're up 2-0. And Donovan Mitchell and the Utah Jazz do not win another game. They lose that series 4-2. Blowing game 5 in their home building. Blowing a 25-point lead in game 6. And they lose the series. The best player in the history of the Utah Jazz blows that game. Uh, To me, that's not what the best player in history of organization proclaimed just happened. Now, why do I say this, X-Phoenix? What did Stephen A. Smith just say about Devin Booker a couple days ago after game one? Well, after game one, Stephen A. said that Devin Booker is the next. Kobe Bryant. Now, what have we seen from him? Well, aside from the injury to his face, which he did not finish the game well, they still won, but he did not finish well. Did not play well in Game 3. They lose. I'm just saying this as a precaution. That it could be the curse of the Stephen A. Smith making these lavish guarantees. Now, the next Kobe Bryant, that's quite a stretch. Especially, Devin Booker has been around a while and has not accomplished in his six years what Kobe Bryant accomplished in his six years. Yes, Kobe Bryant had the great Shaquille O'Neal to help him start him off. But Devin Booker's got to win an MVP He's got to win a championship to even be in the same field of Kobe Bryant. Right now, they're not even in the same field. One is sometimes mentioned as a GOAT or top five greatest player of all time. Those are lofty shoes to fill. So could this be 
the Stephen A. curse. I do think the Suns will go on to win this series, but I am weary since he has made that guarantee. But I do not have the Suns winning the NBA Finals. When you have people like Shaq, or I mean Charles, Barkley, and Stephen A. supporting them and the wild guarantees they make and that not happening, then your team tends to lose. But I do believe this series will go the distance seven games like I have said before. Now you have the Atlanta Hawks and the Milwaukee Bucks. The Atlanta Hawks stole game one, which I didn't think would happen. I picked the Bucks to sweep the Hawks. Obviously that is now incorrect, but I am still rolling with the Bucks. Atlanta finished hot on an 18-8 run. I thought the Hawks seized control on the third but the Bucks made a good run of their own to take the lead, and then the Hawks took it back to steal the game. Trey Young was sensational, shooting 50% from the field, scoring 48 points. Wasn't a great three-point shooting night, 4 of 13, but I've come to realize that he is not a great three-point shooter. He just isn't. Doesn't live up to the hype of that Steph Curry-esque type player. But he is fun to watch. He does make plays, even though he has a tough time shooting the ball. So he was sensational. He outdid Drew Holiday, who had a fantastic night. Trey Young got the better of him. Shimming on him, which was just nasty. You can't allow that to happen. Giannis was 34 points. Drew with 33 points, but Giannis could not close the deal. Giannis being a reigning back-to-back MVP, or not reigning anymore, but being a back-to-back MVP defensive player of the year, he has to be one to shut the paint down, not allow Trey Young to make those little floaters, and he has to be the one to just run and dunk. That's what you can do. That's what James Harden made fun of you for, that all you do is run and dunk. So how about you just do it? Don't take the three-point shot. Don't take the fadeaway. Run it and dunk. Because guess what? Jalen Collins cannot guard you. Clint Capella cannot guard you. You are the man, Giannis. You have to take this game over. You have to prove why you have been a back-to-back MVP and one of the most efficient players. You have to prove that in this series, because I think this is your best chance to reach the NBA Finals and actually win it. You have no LeBron on the West, no Kawhi on the West, really no super teams left in the West. And now you're facing the Atlanta Hawks, a fifth seed in the Conference Finals. The Sixers were upset. You beat the Bucks. You beat KD. You beat the best competition. So you better not have this hangover against the Hawks in this series. But I'm still rolling with the Bucks. Tonight is game two. Milwaukee's an eight and a half point favorite. And I am picking them to cover that. I think Milwaukee is going to do it. They're going to come out. And if it gets close, I think the Milwaukee Bucks will finish the deal and they will finish this team off. I have confidence in Milwaukee and Giannis and Chris Middleton, who took the game winning shot on Wednesday. Missed it. Didn't make one three-pointer that whole game. Took nine of them. Shot 
zero, made zero of them. With six of 23 from field was terrible. I don't think he'll repeat that atrocious performance. Yes, he's had bad performances on his career, but that was an atrocity known to man. That was terrible. Chris Middleton's got to be better, and I think he'll step up tonight for this team. Now, the Bucks could lose, and it would be a disappointment. But would it be the biggest disappointment we have seen so far in this postseason? I am going to say no. To me, there's just two disappointments in the NBA playoffs that have just stood out to me. The first being the Utah Jazz. Why? Because they were really relatively fully healthy. Yes, Donovan Mitchell had an ankle injury, but Rudy Gobert, defensive player of the year. Jordan Clarkson, sixth man of the year. Joe Ingles can ball. Bogdanovich can ball. Donovan Mitchell hobbling a bit, but he was spectacular in the games he played. So they were a number one seed, no LeBron. You come out, you whip the Grizzlies. And then Kawhi goes down for game four. And it's a 2-2 series. I think you win this series. You can handle the Suns without Chris Paul in the first two games. And you are looking comfortable. And instead you blow it in games five and game six to a Kawhi-less Clippers. One of those leads, you blow a 25-point lead. You can't do that. As simple as that, that cannot happen. But as I've now also come to realize, the 20-point leads don't mean a thing. Why? Because just days before that, the Philadelphia 76ers blew a 27 or 26-point lead to the Hawks. Now this team blows a 25-point lead to the Jazz. So when the threes start to fall and you miss a couple shots in a row, that 12 or that 25, 26-point lead can easily go down to a 10-point lead in a matter of a minute or two. But it's such a disappointment because Kawhi wasn't playing and you played so well in that first half. Defensively, you could not finish. And why do I say the Nets? Well, the Nets were the favorite, not my favorite. I actually had the Bucks beating the Nets in my kind of bracket that I did before the playoffs started. In an earlier podcast, I thought the Bucks would beat the Nets. So I was right about that. But I'm just saying, overall, most people had the Nets to go to the finals. Most people, a lot of people had them winning it. They were the favorite. Everybody had them winning. And none of them said, oh, because of, because of health reasons that barring health reasons, barring unforeseen circumstance. Nope. The guarantee was no matter what, Nets can do it. Nets can do it. Nets can do it. And you know, if they prove that the Nets can't do it, it proved that Kyrie is better than James Harden for this team. KD is the best player on this team. James Harden shrinks when the moment is the greatest. KD is not the playmaker. LeBron James is. He might be a greater scorer, but in terms of playmaking, he is not that guy. Defensively, he can't do it when his offense is going. This team defensively as a whole was terrible all year. So what made you think that their defense was going to get better in the postseason? Because it did not. 
Who is as bad as Joe or as bad as James Harden? Joe Harris, another great three-point shooter, just could not get it done. So two big disappointments right there in the Utah Jazz and the Brooklyn Nets. And I don't think any more of these teams that lose will match those two disappointments on this scale. But time to get into yet another disappointment, which to me is the biggest disappointment of the playoffs so far, which is nice because it eclipsed my Pittsburgh Penguins. But that is the Vegas Golden Knights. They lost Game 6 in overtime yesterday. And also, with that, lost the series, allowing the Montreal Canadiens to go to their first Stanley Cup final since 1993. The Knights blew this series, blew this game, bad coaching, to really say the least. It was just... A bad performance overall by the Vegas Golden Knights. And they were a team that were able to actually beat Price on multiple occasions. They just could not uh, seal the deal. Now why do I say that? I say that after watching this team, that Peter DeBoer, the head coach, or Marc-Andre Fleury, have to go. One of them has to go. I don't care who it is, but one of them has to go. They do not like each other. They do not mesh well together. Last year, it was known when the agent tweeted out Peter DeBoer stabbing Flurry in the back on Twitter. Now, this year, Flurry having a Vesna trophy like season, and you bench him multiple times in the finals. Two of those games. Being losses, one of those being a loss last night. You don't think a goaltender rebounds after a loss? Had told me. But Montreal Canadiens have lost a couple games. Every time they lose, do they bench Carey Price after a win? What about the Tampa Bay Lightning? They've lost a few games. Every time they've won, have they benched Andre Vasilevsky? No, because you ride the goaltender who's been with you all year long. That's what Peter DeBoer doesn't realize. Marc-Andre Fleury has been the man all year long. Yes, he made a gaffe in a game. You replace him, you come back, then you start him again, and he loses. But you come back and you ride and die. You die with the man that has taken you there. Marc-Andre Fleury is the reason they were there in the Stanley Cup semifinals. So you die with him. So with your life on the line, you don't start the goalie who I thought had the greatest goalie season just this year, who I think should win the Vesma. You start Robin Leonard, who's only started three times this postseason, one of them being a crazy, terrible loss that was mostly on him. And then you have him win a game and play very well. And then you say, I'm going to start him game three. Obviously, that was a wrong decision as they lost the series with Robin Leonard in net. 
Flurry watching helplessly on the bench. Peter DeBoer did not give his team the best chance to win. It was bad coaching right there. It was also bad coaching in terms of not adjusting your lineups. The Mark Stone, Max Pacioretty, Chandler Stevenson line was terrible. Flat out terrible. Mark Stone with no points this series. Your captain, one of your best players, was terrible. Your power play, which can be very potent at times, was lackluster and terrible. But what did Peter DeBoer do all this? I'm just going to switch my goalies out. I'm not going to look at other problems that I am having in terms of my lineups and chemistry and things not clicking for this series. I might have to adjust it and change it, but oh no. I'm just going to switch out my goaltender because I don't like Mike Harden J. Fleury. I'm going to cost us a trip to the Stanley Cup Finals where I play the Montreal Canadiens who had 59 points compared to my 82, which was tied for the best in the National Hockey League. I'm playing a team with 59 points who, if they were in any other division, would not have made the playoffs. St. Louis Blue, or the Dallas Stars eliminated, had more points than them. The New York Rangers eliminated, had more points than them. But you decide to lose this game, Peter DeBoer, with the bad decisions that you made and really the other no decisions that you made. So one of them has to go because it just doesn't end well. Because guess what? Who was there? Their first Stanley Cup run in 2018, it was Marc-Andre Fleury that took them there. Who was the head coach? Gerard Gallant, who will be the head coach of the New York Rangers. It wasn't Peter DeBoer. Where was Peter DeBoer? Well, he was actually losing to Fleury in those nights that year. Who was was he the coach for? The San Jose Sharks. He's never won a Stanley Cup. He never will. He's not a good coach. He doesn't deserve to be the coach of this team. Uh, And I think he should be fired. I'll put that very bluntly. I don't think Peter DeBoer should be coaching effective immediately for this team. But I think George McPhee, general manager of this team, will keep him. And I don't think Peter DeBoer wants Flurry. So I think Flurry is going to go, whether it's to the Seattle Kraken and the expansion draft, or whether it be via trade. But they have to resolve this goaltender issue sooner rather than later or get a new head coach, and they still have to resolve that goaltender issue. But the Mighty Knights have fallen, which was a great path. they playing the Canadians. The Canadians, who didn't look like this all year long, and you fall to them. The Nightfall, this is just something straight out of a comic book where you look like Batman in the Nightfall comic and the Montreal Canadiens were Bane and they literally broke you in half. And I don't know, because in the comic series, the Knight returns, Batman returns, and ends up winning. I don't even know if the Knights can ever recover from this. This is a terrible loss where they could have won this game, had a matchup with either the Islanders and the Lightning, and you blow it. Vegas Golden Knights below it. But tonight, there is a Game 7 in the NHL. 
between the New York Islanders and the Tampa Bay Lightning. What a game that will be. I have picked the New York Islanders to win this series in six. It's going seven, but I'm still rolling with the New York Islanders to win tonight. Why? Because they are just the grittiest, hardest-working team I have seen in this playoffs. Matthew Barzal, Brock Nelson on defense, Letty and Pellick. They just play really, really good. And they play above really what their standard and point-wise is, which is great uh, for them. Because I think they can do this with Simeon Barlamov in net, getting some points. I think this will be a low-scoring affair. I think it will be close. Who knows if we have another overtime in the mix. But whatever happens, I think the New York Islanders will win this game. They've been in situations like this, whereas the Tampa Bay Lightning haven't been in a Game 7 since 2018. In the past couple years, Lightning have not had consecutive losses in the playoffs, 13-0. So that might be something on their side as they try to become the first team to have be repeat champions. Since my Pittsburgh Penguins, so I definitely don't want Tampa Bay getting in the way of that. But in a Game 7, I think I trust Barry Trotz, who's been there more. Then John Cooper, Kucherov is hobbled for them as well. But to me, the Game 7 is the thing where in the previous years, 2016, they had a loss. Uh, 2018, they had a loss in Game 7s. So really, their most recent Game 7s has not been pretty where you compare their earlier years where they have been good in Game 7s. But most recently... With John Cooper as the head coach, they have not been good. And I think this is right where the New York Islanders want them. They're back against the wall. Winner takes all game right here. I'm rolling with the Islanders. Now to give you my top five teams in the MLB. Number five, the Chicago White Sox. Why? Because they're still winning. They're on top of their division. I don't think they're as good as they were a month ago. But nonetheless, they are still pulling together and finding ways to win. Even when players like Jose Obreu have not been great as of late recently. Number four, the Tampa Bay Rays. Their best, arguably their best player, their best pitcher for sure goes down Tyler Glass now. They call up prospect Wander Franco. And he has been terrific in his first start. So how well can he carry this until Tyler Glass now gets back? And then that's just another piece to this great rotation that you have with Rich Hill as well going in there. Number three, the San Diego Padres. This was a tough one to me because right here I either have the Padres or the Dodgers. But the Padres 
just watched him witness dominating the Dodgers in the series they just played. To me, Padres have been better than the Dodgers, at least had to head all year long. Both have battled with their injuries and issues, but the Padres just had to head look with him. Look like they have something to prove playing the Dodgers and playing a lot of teams as well. Number two, the Houston Astros. I can't believe the Houston Astros are right here at number two. I am not happy about it at all, but I got to give them props because they have the best run differential by far at a plus 144. Most runs scored by far. The Dodgers are second at number two. Uh, I think they have around uh, 30 less than them. As I said, the run differential there at 144, Giants at 101. They're 17 and 4 in their past 21 games, so they are winning games, and I just don't like it, but I have to give them some respect on this list, even though I'd like them to be omitted from all my top fives. But I still can't give them the number one spot, because that is to the San Francisco Giants. Is I think with baseball, every team endures injuries. Every team on my top five has endured injuries. But it's just who comes out on top. You can't let that blame your season when this is a 160-game season. But the Giants have great pitching. 10 shutouts this season, which is a league high so far. And they are just playing the best team baseball withstanding the elements of having an older team, players injured, San Francisco Giants so far have come out on top. So there you have my top five, the Chicago White Sox, the Tampa Bay Rays, the San Diego Padres, the Houston Astros, and the San Francisco Giants. That's it, folks. Hope you all have a great weekend. Talk to you next week. Bye, everybody.